Well, respect and information is what you obtain from the Progressive Radio Network, Warrior Connection, and Dr. Gary Knoll. Absolutely essential to understand what's happened to the military personnel of our nation, the spouses, their families, their kids, what's going to happen to them. Dr. Knoll has his uh, documentaries that are on his website. Absolutely, please go and get those and watch them if you have not done so. They're, credi- I mean, absolutely incredible. Explain it all clearly. Well, with all the toxic exposures we had and then running through the bushes and jumping over buildings and falling off of trees and everything else, we get injured. We not only get a physical injury, which results in pain, but we also have toxic exposures result in incredible levels of pain. So let's have a conversation today about pain and what it is and how it works and what can we do for it. Because let me tell you, one thing I learned as I tried my trials through the VA and trying to get pain management uh, treatment for over two years, it ain't there. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors, but it isn't there. Ray, I mean, when you're in combat out there, you're filthy dirty. You're running all day. You're falling all day. You're not sleeping well. You're either in the heat or you're in the cold or you're soaking wet or you're friggin' hot and dry. And your clothes are not real clean. And no matter what you do, you're going to get scrapes and bumps and fractures and strains and sprains and everything, aren't you? Well, it happens. Uh, it's just life living out in that kind of uh, environment. And, and I'm sure in the sand is even worse, you know, because of the bugs, because of the dirt, all this stuff. And I know in Vietnam we had uh, 115 degrees. And it was 100% humidity. And if you scratched yourself, you could scratch yourself on the jungle grass or, or really anything, and you developed what they called jungle rot, and it was an infection. That uh, I've got places on my legs, scars on my legs, the size of a silver dollar probably, uh, <clears throat> that started out as a leech bite, and ended up in a full, um, you know, uh, what they call jungle rot. <clears throat> they didn't send you out of the jungle for that either. They, the doctor would have to, or the corpsman would have to scrape your wound twice a day to get the scabs off, and then they'd put methylate and stuff like that on it. But it was just, you know, it was just life itself, Doug, and and uh, you didn't realize the ramifications sometimes of what was going on. Um, so we are all scarred up from the time that we spent, you know, in combat or whatever you were doing. I'm sure there were times you banged yourself up pretty bad, but you didn't turn it in. You didn't get a Purple Heart for it. You actually got a some kind of a patch, and then you just lived. So uh, we've all been beaten up physically from those times, you know, exposure to being well, in the military. I spent three years in the infantry as a combat medic line infantry. And let me tell you, we were always getting hurt and something was happening. I mean, we had medevacs for fractures for arms and legs and you know, fingers and toes and even the nose, I think, more than once. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. I got one of my best friends that had a fight with an AK-47. Not a good day in River City, but, you know, he got hit by the butt of an AK-47 in a, you know, in a fight in a place called Cambodia. I don't think we ever went in there, did we? <laughs> well, not so you could tell it. Um, <laughs> they probably did, uh, but they didn't uh, advertise it very well. We did a lot of things uh, that they didn't advertise real well, and uh, you know they would they would probably say we never did it, but more than likely we did. And you, you know, know that for a town anyway. But I, I don't know, Ray. You, did you ever get shot, or you were lucky? 
No, I had two bullet holes through my helmet. I had a flak jacket that had um, shrapnel in it. I've had two or three grenades to blow up within two yards of me, and I wasn't hit because of the handle on their grenades. If you just happened to be behind the handle, you didn't get hit with shrapnel. And it, it just so happened, it, all three of those, uh, I had a friend of mine that had a grenade land about a yard from him. He reached over and turned the handle toward him and, and you know, covered up, and he didn't get hit by it. So it was only just by the grace of God you didn't get, you know, fractured up or something. I'm sure I had a little bit of a, uh, what do you call it, um, the brain injury. Traumatic um, brain injury. Yeah, maybe simple, but um, that could have... Uh, Helped me to make some bad mistakes. I could blame it on that anyway, Doug. So, um, you know, that's that's the way life was. The heat, the malaria, all these type of things. And so we came back home uh, a lot different from what we went over there. You know, all that stuff that happened. And I mean, I've been lucky. Obviously, I've had a bad day in River City, and you've had a bad day in River City. And I had the honor of carrying the wall section with your your guys on it you know, when we put up the traveling wall. But right. when you get wounded or you get a break a leg or something like that, that pain we can identify, that's kind of usually what we call an acute pain. So, we get, okay, this happened. Now I'm going to go to the doctor and I'll get the fracture repaired and it'll heal on its own. Or I'll have a pulled or a strained muscle and we'll strap it on up and put some heat on it, cold to begin with, put some heat on it later and it'll heal. And those are kind of in acute pain. You know, you go into surgery, you know, you get appendicitis or something like that or something like that or a toothache. Well, hey, you know, once they treat that and heal it, the pain's going to go away. It can be pretty significant for a few hours or a few days or a few weeks. But after that, that acute pain usually can be healed. What we've seen nowadays with this complex toxic exposures and the synergistic relationships is we have uh, at the fundamental part of the body, we have cellular, cellular nutrition is all fouled up. We have cellular, cellular perfusion is all fouled up. That means getting oxygen in and CO2 out. And then as a consequence, we have all these spasming muscles and joints and the nerves are damaged and we have demyelinization, which means that the myelin sheet that surrounds the nerve, and think about it as a water hose, the nerve in itself is the water flowing through the hose. And the myelin sheet is the plastic or rubber water hose outer part. Well, with demyelinization, you get a leak in there. So the nerve doesn't transmit right and it doesn't work right, it's leaking. In other words, only a portion of the single is getting to where it needs to get and even gets there. Well, now you've got chronic pain. Uh, when you get exposed to depleted uranium, we know the physiologic effects of depleted uranium. According to the Department of Veteran Affairs, clinicians guidance are severe pain, twitching, numbness, tingling, and all this stuff. We know we got oxygen, cardiac problems, respiratory problems. We go to the anthrax vaccine, we see the same thing happening. So not so synergistic in nature. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals kick my butt. And so now we live with chronic pain. And I, what I've been, and the experience I've been having, and I'm so flustered with it, there's U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs supposedly has their pain center at the Tampa VA and Tampa, Florida. Well, I've been talking to those guys. 
trying to get my own care. And what I found out, all they do is psychological reconditioning. How is that going to affect chronic pain? I mean, granted, we're going to adjust our lifestyle, and you and I have both done that. I'm no longer leaping four-story buildings. I'm no longer running two miles in 15 minutes. Uh, I can't work with a, a, a pair of straight pins, so I have to use stapler stapler when I sew. And when I'm going to work all day, like Bill has said, i got to sit down and work on the ground. I can't be jumping or climbing on ladders anymore. So we've all learned how to adjust, not only with age, but with the various physical problems that affected our body and how we get along. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really uh, puts us out of the, you know, the workload, more or less. Uh, when you get to a certain age, people want to help you anyway sometimes. Uh, the young people will want to help you out a little bit here and there. I guess we have pride and we want to continue on and do what we can. But there is pain. I mean, pain comes with life. But a lot of things happen. You know, they say sometimes you choose the way you die by the way you live. And sometimes we live because of the military. We lived in a bad, harsh environment and different things went on. And I don't think the average person even understands that, that when a young man gets out of high school and he goes overseas, joins the military, he put himself in a harsh environment, the Middle East, sandstorms, heat, everything's going on. And then you have a lot of things that came out of the Gulf War, the uh, chemical and biological uh, effects of combat and DU and all these type of things. When they come back home, they're going to have problems. And they're going to have problems anyway just by grow- getting older and stiffer and everything else. But those chronic problems don't start up right away. They'll come up later on. And, you know, not only that, but there's a lot of pain as they're moving along and they're trying to get some help from the VA in different places and they're finding out, uh, you know, they, they these things that they got, maybe they don't want to own up to it. And so there's other types of pain that's setting in, the mental issues, the emotional pain, the pain of a marriage that's not working real well because of your problems, the, the loss of children, the loss of your job, different. And so these guys are really getting in worse shape. I've always had pains and problems from Vietnam. You know that, I mean, you know for a fact, Doug, I've had malaria probably at least a dozen or two dozen times since Vietnam because it came back on me. You never get rid of it. Uh, But that was just a simple thing. But, you know, when these guys are suffering, and and you know for a fact, Doug, when you're hurting, it's not just you hurting. It's your wife. It's your family. And so, therefore, the whole family suffers because of these things. Some of it may be natural, but there's a lot of things that that came from the environment and from, from the situation you were in. Uh, I got friends today uh, that I was in Vietnam with, and every once in a while, a piece of shrapnel will come out of them. They didn't, they couldn't take it out when they were injured, and they left it there. And they said every once in a while, it'll surface to the to, to where you can see it in your skin, and they'll cut it out. So these things are long-term problems that happen. And I guess the VA has pretty much concluded if you can make the person comfortable through drugs, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, then you can solve the problem. But that doesn't always do it because it brings problems with it when you put the wrong medicine to the problem and it creates more problems for the individual. Well, we know that. The psychotropic drugs are driving guys suicide. And why would you take a person that's on the edge already and give them psychotropic drugs that – 
screw up their brain thinking is beyond me. I mean, the other thing, too, and, I, and I, it just bothers me completely, they're coming on down, they're actually talking about okay and the use of marijuana and other street drugs that we think that should be banned and saying, well, it's okay to do it. And, you know, this is all psychological reconditioning, like, well, it's okay, you know, to take the alcohol. It's not a problem. It's a disease. It's okay to get doped up on drug. It's, it's a disease. It's not a conscious choice that you have doing it. And so the individuals living with pain, if they can get the pain meds, they're using those. But at the same time, they're not getting anything to alleviate the problem. And then what I keep hearing is, well, you weren't there and you didn't do it and there's no effects. Then why does your document say there is? And why am I living like this? I mean, that's that drives a, a vet nuts when somebody comes and claims, well, it didn't happen or it didn't affect you. Wait a minute. What do you know you weren't there? And that, that rips into the PTSD and moral injury. I mean, pain is going to influence PTSD and moral injury beyond imagination. And right. both of those are going to affect how your pain responds to whether or not you're what you're going to do and how you get through it, aren't they? Yes, and, I mean, it, it all is a, is systematic. But, I mean, actually, what, you, um, what we talk about most times is when you realize that you're having all these problems and the VA can't say sit down and say, well, you... I don't think you were in an area that this affected you or this thing that wasn't going on, and so you must have got something somewhere else, and they're always giving excuses. But later in life, to a program like this or other programs or other information, you find out that what you were doing did affect you in the Middle East. And uh, if you look at some of these videos about these troops over there and, and how they were affected, they were never told to put on chemical suits. They were never told to do anything. They were uh, you know, told them to come out of their tents or whatever and, and go wipe down a vehicle or something. They, they were standing out there in their T-shirts and trousers, and, and they had no safety equipment on because they didn't know there was a problem. And they were picking up DU and, and breathing it and everything. And, and then you find out on top of everything, all these problems you're having, you're bleeding on the inside, your, your lungs are messed up, everything is going around. And then you find out what it was not even justifiable. And so the compound of the pain continues on in life, and you feel like you got injured for nothing, and your friends lost their life for nothing. And so the moral injury happens when you, when you violate certain basic laws of morality. Those laws are made up in the Ten Commandments. There's five of those laws that have to do with moral uh, or morality. And one of them is about lying. Don't lie. One of them is about stealing. Don't take things that aren't yours. One of them is about sexual infidelity. Uh, one of them is about killing things without justifiable causes. Uh, one of them is called uh, being greedy. And they're the basis of morality. When you find out your nation has broken all those laws by sending you somewhere, taking things that didn't belong to them, they lie about it um, with a sexual thing. Uh, I don't know about that one, but... Uh, when you find out you were killing or people being killed for no particular reason, unjustifiably, when you find out it was all about greed, they wanted something from somebody else, you end up with a conscience that's been violated terribly. So um, all the times we get moral injuries, whatever the situation is or whatever the cause is, it is all based on those five basic laws. And we end up with a conscience that has been violated and wounded.
and that's what we call moral injury. <coughs> and then the Doug, I was looking at a video down. last night, and it was produced by, um, I think we had him on here, but I know we had Dr. Bart Billings, and he's written books on, um, you know, therapy without, or, you know, trying to fix PTSD without any kind of medications, which I also believe in, and I think you do too. Uh, but it was um, produced by Citizens Commission on Human Rights International. <clears throat> and I have had, those people called me from California, and we talked extensively on it. They wanted to know what I was, how I was working on it and, and the military that I'm working with. And we've conversed back and forth on these things. And I advertise for them, and they, hopefully they advertise for me. But they're really convinced that psychiatry took over the military, and they were the ones who brought in all the drugs because they were trying to fix your mental problems, trying to either alleviate them by drugs or trying to tell you to self-help yourself and, and um, you know, think better, think happier, all these type of things. And they didn't really understand the problems. Um, and so psychiatry has been a, one of the uh, villains in all of this um, pharmaceutical problems we have and the overdoses that we're seeing and the suicide <clears throat> because you can go there and find out where all of it came from. You know, it, it, what the horrible thing about the pain and living with the pain, chronic pain, I mean, the acute pain, you get that fixed. When we've all been through that, it comes and goes. But the chronic pain is so synergistic in nature, and then when you can't get the proper care and treatment that you need, for example, some of the simple things that we do know, we know that a, a deep muscle massage, myofascial release, does wonders on working with the muscles and the joints and the nerves and everything else. Because when you start getting all that stuff pinched up as it spasms, you disrupt circulation, so obviously oxygen ain't getting there and CO2 ain't being removed. And the cell and the nerves and the muscles don't like that. And the same thing with nutrition. One of the things Dr. Beatrice Golab would find out the, at the VA in, out in San Diego, California, is the mitochondria are definitely damaged. Well, they can't get oxygen in, they can't get nutrition in, you can't get the junk out. Right. So the pain is just building up and building up and building up. And then how, and then we're here a day in and out, well, there's all this abuse of narcotics and everything else. Well, if the guy's not getting any pain alleviation from other stuff that they could do, he's going to fall back on his drugs and he's going to use them. I mean, well, the weather changed here the other day. I mean, we were working on a set or working like mad. Got to do this stuff as part of everyday life. But at the same time, the weather was changing. So, I mean, we got a storm brewing in. So about the time that I finished working on the set and started home, I mean, we were in a whiteout of a snowstorm. Well, barometric pressure drops and pain goes up. And there ain't nothing you can do for it. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, when, when, when you're on pharmaceuticals, a lot of times the VA, because of weather sometimes, they can't deliver the pain pills when you need them. And so you have to go to an alternative. And many times it's alcohol, it's different things that will help to alleviate the pain. Um, I've known people that... Momentarily. Momentarily. Well, that's true. And, and what you do is create more problems for yourself. Um, and so it's created all kind of problems with... Um, with the physiological, but it, you're also dealing with the family too, and you have. That's one of the reasons for suicide, because 
uh, Amy last week was talking about her husband on this program and said he was on 300 pills a week. Doug, how do you justify that? How can you imagine a human being with a sensitive system inside of him, digestive system? Can you imagine 300 pills going through your body a week? And it's just unfathomable. Um, you don't even un- know what the what the effects in the interrelationships of all those meds are. I mean, you know, one thing, I mean, I live, have to have pain meds, and I'm trying to get off of them. But the weather changes, it goes down. The other thing, too, is the diet. Diet has a horrible effect on this. One thing that I've learned, and we've learned a long time ago, yeah, granted, if you don't have the pain meds or it's going bad, you need to control it, but you go to alcohol. Well, alcohol is the worst thing you can do because we know that alcohol reduces perfusion. Yeah. And alcohol causes all kinds of other problems, so it makes you feel good momentarily, but physiologically it's really messing you up. Well, it does, and I know a, a person recently, I was trying to minister to him. I'm a chaplain, and uh, they died of um, liver failure because of so much alcohol in their lives. They died, uh, and and they have to do an autopsy because they look like they just had a heart attack or something, and come to find out their liver was shredded, and um, and that's what causes from alcohol, but there's there's so many other problems that got come out of this. The the emotional part of it, uh, with somebody with 300 pills, I don't know how in the world you'd ever have a bowel movement, because you've got a bowel movement with half of it is is some kind of a chemical, and it will block you from end to end. And talk about pain. If you can't urinate or if you can't uh, use a bathroom, uh, there's there's just no way. I mean, you're talking about suffering. You can't get enough drugs to keep you drugged up. So um, it's just unconscionable to give someone that amount. Of, I've never been on that many drugs, but I've been on a lot of them. I've probably been probably close to 100 pills a week, and they told me it was good for me. They told me I needed to do it. They had me on eight hydrocodone a day. I couldn't sleep because of the pills I was on, and, and the, if you're taking pain pills, it will really wreck your sleep. And so they put you on Seroquel. And Seroquel is nicknamed Seroquel because it's a very potent uh, sleep aid, and it will take you out of here. Um, and so they're, we're losing so many. It is way more than 22 a day. And all total, what they, they've told me in, in the suicide prevention, they said that they wouldn't tell this outside of the room. It was a DOD talking. But they said if you can include veterans, um, active duty, Reserves and National Guard, it's over 100 a day. It's like 130 a day we're losing to suicide and overdoses. And it comes from drugs, from alcohol. So, Doug, it's, it's a problem on top of a problem. Well, you know, when I, when I looked at the program, and, and I've been running around in a circle here with the VA personally, and the latest one is the Tampa Pain, Tampa Center down there in Tampa, Florida. And this is, I'm going to quote, this is their basic components, daily heated pool therapy, daily physical therapy, exercise, relaxation trainings, group lectures, recreational therapy, occupational therapy, and walking sessions. And somehow this is going to alleviate the problem. And I said, well, I've been trying to go to the pool and trying to get this paid for all the time. And the VA doesn't want to pay it. I mean, we had it all set up here at the quarters in the old officers club here at the former Chinook Air Force Base, and then they just didn't pay pay the proprietor, 
Well, he can't run a facility if he ain't getting paid, even though the VA agreed to pay him. And then the physical therapy, and there's just a massage. And I said, well, what about the deep muscles massage, deep muscle massage, my face release? And we don't do that. I said, how are you going to alleviate the spasming and everything all tied up and disjointed and exercise? Well, you can only do so much exercise. I know I keep doing exercise. I'm exercising way more than I probably should at my age. But then again, I've kept a, somewhat of a balanced exercise re- regime rather than going nuts at when I was younger or anything else, even when I got older, to where I've worn out all my joints. Uh, relaxation. Well, we talked about it. How much stuff we talked about, all the things you can do on this radio program get involved in to relax and group lectures how many times do you have to be lectured by this stuff i mean all of us have been through enough of this where we could teach the course right well you know they say doug i've um i've read where you have to read something really seven times before you really retain it well most things you're doing you go to a place like that and they give you a week of training you're not going to retain everything. I mean, it's much easier to do it when you have therapists and you when you have a, a pool and a heated pool and all this kind of stuff and an ice pool. You can move from one to the other. You can exercise. You can get out there. You can run with the different people or walk with different people. It's another thing when you come back home because your home is not set up for that, and you're not going to be able to do it all. So it, it's great, and you realize while you're there it's been great. But when you come back home, it's going to be a different situation. And people, when they're hurting, they really don't want to do anything. They just want to sit there and not hurt. And, uh, you know, I was reading something today and it was, uh, in Military Times, and I sent you this, but it was about the military now is looking how to get rid of a lot of these non, um, how they call it, non-deployable service members. In other words, if they're in the States and they can't be deployed overseas, then we need to get rid of them. And they had certain uh, exclusions, which like warrior, uh, wounded warriors or someone who was on a temporary hold. But they're, they're looking throughout the uh, military now for people who have been injured. Um, they give you 12 months to either become deployable or become unemployed as far as the military is. They'll send you back home. And so they're really uh, beginning to look at the finances of this thing, of saying, look, if you can't serve, you can't stay. And uh, they're talking somewhere around 100,000 of them or more, um, 11%, 235,000 in the military, 2.1 million in the military that are undeployable. And so they're they're looking at them very closely now because it's it's just, it's no sense in them being in the military if you cannot deploy. Well, in the military, I mean, in the United States, there's a lot of people in the United States that do not deploy. I guess they have to stay physically fit, and if they get injured, they have to get over it and get healed and back on the duty because they just don't, they can't afford to have that anymore. So there's going to be a lot more people out there on the streets who are injured and hurt and looking for help from the VA, and I'm afraid they're not going to find a whole lot. You know, one of the things the military, and again, the same thing, you get put on the profile and you're supposed to be non-deployable or anything, but let me tell you, as we know from all my experiences in the last, well, since 1966, it don't matter whether you're in a profile or not. When you got to go, you're going to go. 
and with our Operation Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom, because they needed everybody back so many times. I mean, you said, Ray, you had Marines there two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Nine times. Boy, nine times. And uh, that's got to be messing you up. So when they've got all these missions they're putting up, and I'm not sure what they was ever needed, so they keep deploying these guys. Well, we know in history they've been deploying individuals that should have been not only just on medical profile, but they should have received a medical discharge. I know I was put on profile and everything. We were getting ready for Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was a G2, and they're saying, well, you're, you're non-deployable because of your neuropathy and fine motor control and your pain levels, and you can't hear and you can't see. But who else is there? Well, I guess, you know, uh, when George Washington said, the willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war, no matter how justified, shall be directly proportional to how they were perceived the veterans of earlier wars were treated and appreciated by their nation. And not only does it have a bad retention uh, with that when you when they continued to deploy you because a lot of guys get out because they don't want to be sent back over and redeployed. Uh, you know, a lot of them have told me, they said, I wasn't in direct combat, but I saw the effects of combat. They said, when we'd go out of the compound or something, you see dead bodies, you see vehicles been blown all to pieces, you see the results of things, or buildings blown up, or, or just a lot of things. When you're out there and you're viewing these things, the eye is the gateway into your mind, and then that's the access to your heart. These guys are being affected, men and women are being affected by combat that they've never been exposed to in this country. And so I'm sure in riots and all, you have that type of thing or a lot of it. But normally, most people have never been exposed to that, unless you're EMS or something on that order. But these people are being uh you know, when they go over there, they're being exposed to a world that they're not familiar with. And when they come back, Doug, whether they've been in combat or not, they're having issues. And what the government is basically saying was, you are going back, and if you don't go back, you're getting out. And when you get out, you may not have any benefits to getting out because you're, you weren't injured or you weren't sustained, uh, had any kind of sustaining uh, problem. You always denied you had post-traumatic stress before. And so you don't have that, even though the guy probably does. He just couldn't tell it because he didn't want to get out. But we had a, a captain on here, not you know, it been about a year ago, and he was actually a, a carpenter that was building things for veterans. And I, I can't remember his name now, but you, I, I brought him on the program. But he was a captain in the uh, in the Marine Corps, and he was in a lot of combat. And so he complained that he was having an emotional problem because of losing his men. They put him out of the Marine Corps. He said, I was going to spend my life in the Marine Corps. I was going to spend, you know, 25 years or so. And he said, they they put me out. And I've seen that happen many times. Uh, I've been in programs where I was teaching classes, and one of the students would go out for a, a meeting and come back in there with a really depressed look, and he said, they just told me I'm out of the Marine Corps. He said, I was planning to stay my whole you know, 20 years. He said, my wife and children are dependent on this paycheck, and now I don't even have a future. And I was teaching a class on moral injury the next day, and I had an opportunity to work with that individual a little bit of one-on-one. Doug, I'm telling you, it is creating so many problems for our military because they're being, uh, you know, depressed. They're being 
disassociated with what they love. They're being cut off and abandoned, and they they come out messed up. That's what happens when you treat them wrong. When well, you, you know, we heard that last week with Amy and her husband, Mark. But as you and I know, and we've got it lined up, this is the abandonment of all abandonment. His uncle is the medic who saved all the people on Iwo Jima, who the movie Plagues of Our Father is about. And so we look at another generation being totally abandoned of dedicated military to, I mean, one of the greatest heroes in American Marine Corps history. I mean, he's immortalized, isn't he, up there in Washington, D.C.? He is. He was a standard for everybody, you know, and so they made them the icons of World War II, really, about, you know, country, God and country and the Marine Corps, uh, well, the flag raising and everything. That You go to Washington, D.C., they got that huge monument there, and it's always been the icon for World War II, from at least the Pacific uh, Islands, but that's what people identify with, and it was a... Um, an icon that America used to help us fight that war, that camaraderie we needed, to, to be, we knew we could win. And, um, and to have your family come along and be so abused by the very government you were fighting for is very disheartening. You know, the pain, this pain is all cycled together. And when I asked the doctor at Tampa, Dr. Martin, point blank, well, do you understand the interrelationship between depleted uranium exposures, the anthrax vaccine exposures, the immunizations, the sarin and cyclosarin on pain? No, he had no clue. No clue at all. I mean, I'd like talking to a brick wall. Uh, protocol, protocol. Same, same thing with these doctors. They just don't want to look it up and learn. They, they give them a certain protocol, I'm sure, from what I've understood, and that's where they stay. They stay within the frame of that, and they're not going to explore anywhere else because they got their hands full, and they don't want to cause any waves. They want to stay there, actually. It's a fact is, and we've had this on the program before, that many times the VA is hiring doctors who have lost uh, you know, their practice because of certain malpractice, and the VA takes them in, and that's who's working on us sometimes. And so that person may not want to be exposed by, you know, breaking certain rules or, or stepping out on their own because they're kind of hiding out. And I'm not saying all of them are. They're great doctors in the VA. But there's some uncanny ones also. And I told you how I had a blood problem. My, my body had quit making blood, and they didn't tell me. Um, and they checked my blood and found out, that I was, my hemoglobin was down to five, which is almost, um, you know, a death sentence, really. And they failed to tell me. And when I asked them, and I, when I got to the hospital, they put me in for eight units of blood. I went to the emergency room, and, uh, and I asked the VA, why didn't they tell me I was dying? And they said, well, we were going to send you a letter. And I said, a letter? They told me I'd be dead within a day. And he said, well, I said, why didn't you call me? He said, well, that wasn't protocol. We're supposed to send you a letter. There's times you have to break the rule. I mean, whatever happened to heroes? Whatever happened to people who are willing to stand? Whatever happened to those flag raisers? It seemed like to be a bon, uh, you know, bygone day or something. 
But um, I do believe there are heroes out there. You know, the other thing, too, when you're running around in this, you have individuals and the doctors we have in the VA, and then they talk about going to the civilian world. They have no concept or understanding of military operations or military life. They have no concept or desire to understand how the interrelationships were between what you did and what you didn't do or did. And all of us and every one of us have kept going, John Wayne Rambo and Clint Eastwood all put together, because that's what we needed to do, and that's what the job and the mission needed. But then when you got a problem, you need to get help on this stuff. And what I keep hearing, and we've heard over and over again since antiquity, and I think you heard it, I know I heard it at Quantico when I was at Officer Basic at Quantico, well, just suck it up and charge on, guy. Well, that's what they tell them. You're young, you can you can take anything, and... Well, we're not young anymore, Doug. I mean, we 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 have problems. You look at some of these Gulf War veterans; they're probably in their 40s, I would think, and they look like old men, old women, because they have been beaten half to death. Um, there was a, a teacher the other day. I was reading an article about it, and it might have been Colorado. I'm not sure exactly what state it was. It might have been, and he was a history teacher, and in his class of high school seniors. He began teaching about the military, and he was calling them scumbags, and he was saying they were the worst of the worst and the, the least of the least. And, and he was really chopping them apart, saying they were ignorant and stupid, and they deserve all the stuff they're getting and everything. And, you know, they're not the elect, and they're not the elite of America. And 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 he didn't realize some of those students were had a cell phones or, you know, smartphones, and they were recording the guy. I mean, he was cussing every other word. He was just telling the military how trashed out they were. And they put him on YouTube. And, I mean, the school has, has uh, fired him as far as I know. He had, a, a like, a city councilman. They had thrown him out of that. He lost everything he had. You know, but the thing about it is there's a lot of people out in the civilian world that would defend the military. And there's a lot of former military out there, too. And they will stand up for these young men. But they don't know it sometimes. They don't know what's going on, so they can't stand up for what they don't know. A lot of these veterans feel like they've been isolated and abandoned, and they're out there fending for themselves, and nobody's willing to help out. But a lot of people that would be willing don't know their problem. Um, and it's a, it's a sad situation that we're in because our, our government's pretty much running out of money. They're trying to cut back everywhere they can, people that deserve it the most are probably the last ones to get help because they're not really screaming loud enough. I'm not sure how to remedy this and how to get the VA and the Pentagon and everybody else to come to their senses. If you're going to, if you got to go to war all the time, you got to have troops and you, but you can't use the same one six, seven, eight, nine times without destroying that person's body, his mind, his life, his wife, his family, his children, and his future. Well, you just had personally, I mean, we worked with, since last fall, we had two Marines that committed suicide, one before Christmas and one on Christmas night. I mean, they reached the absolute limit of what they could endure and what they could see and how they could do, and they saw, and that's the reason Paul Lyons is very clear why he chose suicide. He lost all hope and all dreams and any idea and any concept. 
And, and what is really frightening for me in all the suicide prevention and medical care and everything, when the vet's having a problem, they say, I'll call the 1-800 number. Well, you call that 1-800-HELP number, and all they do is refer you back to the same people that created a problem. And in my case, they said, well, we can't help you. I said, it's your job to help me get medical care. I need help. I'm not feeling good. Well, call your congressman. Wait a minute. I got to call my congressman in order to get you to do your job that you're assigned to say you're going to do. But then you don't want to have anything to learn about the veteran or the warrior or what we lit or what we did or how we live or what we need or where we're going. How can you provide care to somebody when you don't know your patient? It's a bad situation, Doug. I mean, I went to the uh, to the patient's advocate, which is the attorney for the VA, uh, where I was going to the VA at, and I complained about this uh, nurse and the doctor um, that was that had treated me and had failed to notify me that I was dying of lack of blood. All they had to do was put some blood in me or get me somewhere they could put some blood in me, and they made me feel bad. They say, well, what do you want us to do? You don't want the poor guy to lose his job, do you? I mean, he's got a family. And what they do many times, and we've heard it from other veterans on this program, they try to make them feel bad. Well, how dare you do this? I mean, you're the bad guy. And it makes you feel terrible, and you walk out, and you just, that's why so many are committing suicide, because they lose hope. They just have no hope of ever feeling better or getting better. They're like 45 years old, and they don't want to live, or maybe they're 22, or, and they don't want to live their life like this. You go into a VA hospital, and it looks like a, a mental institution, everybody walking around on drugs, strung out or something, complaining, whining, hollering, screaming. Uh, some of them losing limbs, everything, they're walking around, and you think, and I've thought before in the VA hospitals, if I was, if I was been a young man, that was thinking about the military, and I ever visited one of those VA hospitals, I don't think I would have ever joined because it looks like a, a nut farm in there with half the guys in there missing parts. And it's like they're not getting treated like they should because there's so many of them. Our nation has had such a large military for so long, the VA was never uh, created for this amount of veterans, and now it just... We've run out of rope. We've uh, we've got too many veterans wanting help, and not enough doctors, and not enough VAs, and not enough money to fill the to fill the uh, demand. Well, let's and think so, about the doctors for a moment. I mean, let's think about this. If you've been a warrior and you've gone to war, you're red, white, and blue, probably country boy, and all this kind of stuff. In other words, we're down home on the farm, or you may be from a city. You went to Vietnam or you went to Desert you went to Iraqi Freedom, Afghanistan, or wherever you at. Maybe you're in Korea, maybe you're in the Philippines. And then they put you under medical control of a raghead. Where's the logic? I mean, not only don't you psychologically not fit or sociologically not fit, this is a person that's going to give you a flashback right away when you look at him. Hello? <laughs> well, it's happened so many times. I mean, you know, they when, when your military is going overseas to recruit foreign troops into the military, they're not even U.S. citizens. They're French. They're other countries. And we're going over there because we can't get enough to join here. 
you got some major problems. And the doctors, you can't get enough doctors, so you go overseas. You don't have to pay them quite as much, and you could let them do their practice, and and everything works out fine. The veterans are the ones who's getting the, the you know the sack job on this thing, and uh, they're the ones that did the fighting. Well, what's the next? The reason that a lot of them aren't going in because of the way they've seen the others treated, and the parents are like, "Son, I don't want you to go in. It's, it's not worth it." Well, <laughs> your freedom. Your freedom could depend on some of these things. At least well, you know, that's a Vietnam vet, and all, we're both Vietnam vets, and we know so many. And I've got two of my best friends who are Vietnam vets are in a nursing home right now in horrific shape. We talked about that. But the Vietnam vet was abandoned and trashed and walked away. Fifty some thousand died, and millions are affected to this day. We know for a fact from direct conversations that Agent Orange casualties cannot get care as of today. Or when the Vietnam vet goes in there, and this is a part of our problem and everything else, we're still holding on to the war as if, well, we could have won it if we'd only done this. Well, we weren't allowed to win the battle. Well, we won the battles, we lost the war, but there wasn't anything to win or lose. The only way we could have won was not go. <laughs> Yeah, and yet you're reaching out for this stuff, and then when you go for care, well, you weren't there and it didn't happen and there were no exposures. And then we wonder why the vet goes to alcohol and why we see child and spouse abuse and wonder why we see suicide. And now five, six, seven, eight, nine, my own son had five deployments. You've got, what, nine deployments on the record? How many deployments have these young kids had? They're not really even old enough to shave yet, much less their brain hasn't formed in the maturity for rational thought yet, and how many times have they been to war? Doug, I have met some of these uh, Iraq veterans that were in combat, and it was about their third time, second time over, I think it was, getting ready to go back the third time, and they were a ball of nerves. I had to get them out of a store one time, this one guy, because he his nerves were totally shot. He was a young man, about 22 or so years old, 21, 22, and I got him out of there, and I tried to calm him down. I said, let's get a cup of coffee. So we went and sat down. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, he, he was telling me, he said he was a machine gunner in a Marine company. And he said, well, they were in combat. And this was the second time. He said, they're getting ready to go back a third time. They're home for about six months, and then they're going to go back again. And I said, you can't go, man. You can't do it. And he said, I have to go. My company's going back. My guys are going back. i got to be with them. And that's that camaraderie. But, look, I'm a, I'm a patriot. I fought for my country just like, I mean, you have too. We, we fought the same war and everything, and we love our country, and we love all this stuff, and, yes, we, we agree with the flag and all this stuff. But I declare, if they go into the recruiting stations, we'll go into the high schools and some of the lowest uh, poverty parts of the city and try to promise these kids something, uh, a great life, a great future, uh, education, uh, careers, everything in the world, and it's a it's a quick fix situation, and so they go in, and these kids are 18 years old or so, and they're going in and thinking everything's going to be really great, and then they get involved in combat, and in in, it could be anywhere in this world because combat is combat. I don't care where you are, and it comes in a, a million different ways, <clears throat> not only killing your enemy, but just being involved in life-threatening situations is by definition, combat. And then they come back home, and they're not taken care of. They're, they're, 
you know, they, they're desensitized to certain things. They have lost their sensitivity toward their nation and toward happy living and the things they used to love, now they don't love them. And the things they used to hate, they, they do love them now. They want to be left alone. They want to be isolated. They want to quit hurting. And we got a best, we got a messed up nation right now. And it's because a lot of it we can't get retention and we can't get, um, you know, new recruits is because the way the old ones have been treated. Yeah, and you go back to our generation. We're now the grandparents, <laughs> the ones that are coming in now. And and then and now we got Korea. I mean, the latest thing, brand new on Army Times right now today, is a general over in Korea said they can don't they can grow a beard. Well, you're about ready to go into nuclear, biological, chemical warfare, and you're going to grow a beard where you can't put on your protective mask. True. How stupid is this going to get? Well, Doug, I do want to spend a couple minutes anyway because we paint a very dreary picture here. You know, they, they're always talking about Donald Trump is always talking about going to war and we're the hammer of the world and we could take on anybody, but our military is not really ready to go into a, a big, big conflict. I mean, they're just not ready. The country is not ready. We're not united, and so we got some major problems. But I do want to talk about any kind of hope we can give people. We've, we've painted a very bleak picture, but what can you say, what can you recommend for these people to get, whether they're young or older, to try to get some reprieve on their injury, or, or what, how can they get anything, and um, the two of us will get our heads together for a minute, and maybe just maybe invite them to do certain things to alleviate some pain, get your voice out, begin to, to tell people, begin to come out and, and uh, make a noise somewhere and, and get somebody's attention. Uh, what would you say to that, Doug? I mean, that's what's got to be done, but you get the documentation information. Again, this was Dr. Noel and his documentaries and all the information on his website, beyondtreesandgrassrootspeace.org. Here's the information that will help you get appropriate medical care. And then the next thing you need to do, no matter what, is you got to get an education. So whether you're going into the military to do everything right, you got to get an adequate education equipment. But then when you come out, you definitely got to get on with your life. So go back to school and get an education, academic and vocational combined. And granted, the physiological problems are going to interfere with you. But as we know, and we've had them on the radio program before, University of Illinois, they got the Chess Center where they're doing incredible work. And they've got a brand new book now that's out that we're going to have them on to talk about. It's called Camera Career, A Veteran's Guide to Career Success. And it's written by... a Dr. Dustin Lang, who is a U.S. Marine, Dr. Nicholas Osborne, who is a U.S. Coast Guard, and a couple others. But it outlines a very clear approach on how you're in the military and how you're going to get on with your career. It's the most incredible book I've ever seen. I wish I had it when I was coming out of the military at 21, or 22, whatever it was. I mean, you know, we'd had Vietnam before we ever shaved, and we went back to Desert Storm. Yeah, there's hope and there's dreams, but you got to make it happen yourself, and then you've got to reach out for others and help each other. Nobody's going to help the vet today. Nobody's going to tell the truth. And the well, vet Doug, themselves really have to accept it. the truth for themselves, what has happened and why we did it, and how do we come just to reconcile? Is that the best term? 
Well, you know, education is power. That's that's what it is. Knowledge is power. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge. And a lot of the problems of today, these young men and women getting out of the military, the lack of education is what got them in the military, and the only way they're going to get rid of this and begin to move forward is to begin to go back to some kind of school, learn a trade, learn a career. Uh, you begin to go back to uh, whether it's community colleges or whether a, a, a regular college or whatever they're doing. They have to become empowered by education because if it doesn't, you're going to stay in the back of the line begging bread where in a few years you could be in the front of the line giving bread out. And yeah, that but this has to be a school where you're there present, not this online stuff. Because if well, just, you don't have the fundamental background, just reading it, you can't read it and understand it or really learn. And then everybody's getting dumped away. I mean, there's been story after story of these kids going to these schools and not getting anything, or they're promised the world and not getting anything. And then they come out and say, well, I was in the military. I was trained to do this. Well, hey, you're trained as a combat medic or NBC. That's the equivalent of maybe a freshman introductory college course. And you think that you're prepared? No, you've got to go back and really learn. You have the capability to learn and excel, but you've got to make it happen with a lot of help from all of us. When I was talking about, um, when I tell them in the military, and when I'm working with classes at Camp Lejeune or something, I talk, and especially with uh, life after trauma, it's about depending on what you want to do in life. If you want to be a rancher, You've got to learn about 4-H. You've got to go in it. You've got to have to learn, take classes on, on building, on carpentry, on on welding, on different things. If that's what you want to do in life, if that's going to make you happy, if it's going to make you successful, you can either have a one-horse ranch or you can have a big ranch, but you're going to, it depends on your motivation and what you want to do, and you're going to have to become educated. That's the difference between surviving and thriving. You can survive, but would you like to survive? Wouldn't you rather thrive? And so whatever their desire in life is, they may not want to be a teacher, they might not want to be corporate or anything, they may just want to have a good, decent life and make some money and, and enjoy life. And so we're always trying to push them into something. I mean, you, you have to learn a skill. And you say, well, my dad did so-and-so, but you've got to have something to back you up. And if you're going to work in somebody, you're either going to be in the back of that line with everybody else, and if you began your education, your your uh, employer will actually take notice of you. I knew a young girl that used to be one of my daughter's friends, and she went after high school. She went to work at um, Walmart, being a, a like a, a working in the ladies' department. Young teenage girl, eighteen or seventeen, whatever she was. But she started taking classes at community college in our local area, and she'd taken business classes. And one of her assignments was to go back to a job and, and tell your employer what you were doing and just give them you know, get opportunities of management, and that's what Walmart did. They began to give her two or three people to uh, supervise, and, and after time she began to you know, continue on in the college, but she was continuing working, and then they gave her five or ten people or 20 people over the department. And then it wasn't very many years later the girl became assistant manager of the Super Walmart where we live. And then a few years after that, she, they gave her her own Walmart. Now, she could have spent 30 years working in that ladies' department and ended up being a doorkeeper or a door greeter, but she chose to move on in her life, and, and it wasn't she didn't have any idea of ever achieving what she did achieve. She just wanted a better life. Last time I saw Susan, she was dressed in a beautiful suit. 
She uh, was driving a Lexus. She she was enjoying life. She was married. Doug, it all comes down to what we want to do in life. And these young military, they've got to understand, life didn't end when you got out of the military. And if they're in now and they're looking at maybe getting out of the military, this is a good time to pursue education because the military will pay for it. And so we're always trying to move them forward. The moral injury part is another part that they're dealing with, and that's where I, I get into it. And it's about a lot of that is about God because a lot of people don't want to talk to God, but I try to get them to talk to God, and I try to get them to God because God is a, a centerpiece for my life about peace and forgiveness that the VA could never give me. They gave me medications and therapy, but I needed peace, and I needed forgiveness. And that's where we came in with reconciliation, you know, that Bob Pastor Shaw has talked about and everything right. else. I mean, we just got to make it happen. And, and what I'm tired from is people deny, deny, deny until they're crashing and burning. And then they're yelling for medical help. And then they expect the people that have thrown them away to help them. And that's what we heard last week from Amy and Mark. Well, we're going to keep going. Thank you. God bless everybody. Please get Gary Knowles' documentaries, all his work. Click at his ranch down in Texas, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, and good evening. Yeah.